You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello, and welcome back to the Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Steve Shabe, director of LCMS Church Planting. Uh, Co-hosting with me, as always, is Mark Larson, who is the manager for LCMS Church Planting. And I do say welcome back because we are picking up from our last discussion with the Reverend Dr. Klaus Detlef Schultz. Dr. Schultz, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So last month we had talked about why churches should be planting churches, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about the how, and not just the methods and the strategies, but how the church is needed also, and why the church is so important for church planting. And we know that it is biblical. We see in the New Testament that New Testament churches set aside and supported church planters for church planting. We see that Uh, In the book of Acts, uh, through the diaspora, Christians who fled persecution in Jerusalem then went to establish a church in Antioch. And then upon their arrival at Antioch, they began to reach people of their own culture group. And then within a short time, though, they expanded to reach people of other cultures in its community. For example, we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 20, it speaks of how they were preaching the gospel to Greeks. So, Dr. Schultz, as we talk about the how, how do you see this applying to the LCMS today, that church planters were set aside, they went out uh, intentionally, they reached their own cultural group, but then they also expanded their outreach to other cultures in their community? Yeah, I mean, that is uh, something we need to adopt uh, a they call it a, a vision. In other words, that you uh, uh, take a, a, a special uh, focus on on various groups in this country, and you ask yourself: Is a community, a worshiping community, already established there or not? So, I think uh, you know that uh, that idea that um, in Acts eleven, which uh, talks about the apostles uh, coming, uh, Barnabas actually coming and visiting Antioch. A church has been planted there by those that had been persecuted, and also to the non-Greeks, uh, non-Jews, to the Greeks. Uh, so it means that uh, if we translate that into our today uh, today's context and apply it, we would ourselves have to adopt a similar approach of asking, "What if we go there?" Which we must. Uh, what uh, of those people do they have a church? that they can go and attend and worship in. So that's, I think, an important principle drawn out of Acts 11. Yeah, and as we continue to piece through this chapter that we've been looking at uh, in a textbook, it also talks about how not only did the Holy Spirit kind of lead and guide, and uh, you have a missionary team then, as you mentioned, with uh, Barnabas and Saul that were going to plant in one place, and then they moved on uh, shortly after in in another region. do you think that compares somewhat to even what your context is there at the seminary where you're raising up future church planners to do something specific like this? Well, you know, I, I think uh, every pastor should be considering this. Um, the congregations are uh, all placed somewhere and they all have a pastor. And I think uh, that if we take uh, 
church planting seriously, we would have to uh, oblige the local churches, the congregations, to also think about their role in uh, what was done in Acts 11, you know, which is to enlist uh, people, you know, uh, particularly their pastor or maybe other leaders to uh, start investigating into their communities, into their vicinity, the areas, and and asking the question, do we need uh, to plant a church there? Who can do it? Who can we use to uh, facilitate that? And that, of course, then uh, begs for somebody to come from the seminary, you know, a vicar uh, for two years who then could be called to uh, serve that uh, new emerging community as their pastor. So, yeah, our seminary needs to uh, clearly give and imbue a, an understanding of the pastoral role involving him uh, uh, in, in, in that ministry of church planting, directly or indirectly. But certainly they should all embrace that idea uh, that uh, not only are they to serve and maintain a congregation, but they always must keep in mind uh, a furthering of God's kingdom through church planting. Very good. And I did note that the churches that were involved made quite a bit of a sacrifice, again, specifically raising up uh, potential church planter teams, having them come begin this work. And then because they had, in our context anyway, specialized training and special gifts for doing new mission work like this. Uh, And in this case, these guys would have been possibly even worker priests. So they were, they were bringing money, not just a human resource, but financial resources as well for the church planting. But then the congregations knew that there would come a time where they would go to other regions. And so they were willing to make that sacrifice. So I think there is still a need for that kind of intentionality within the church, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, intentionality is key here. And uh, I think what the life of the church has to do is to to prioritize itself towards that activity. And um, it's only uh, switching a, a few things here or there, you know, uh, and making this uh, a crucial, important and intentional activity of first, you know, uh, sharing the idea with the local congregation that, hey, we need to muster and, and, and find ways of of uh, getting resources to plant a church over there. So, yes, sacrifices are definitely uh, uh, applicable here that the church needs to do. You know, when one talks about mother church, one talks about prenatal activities, if one could use that word, that needs uh, attention, the preparation. You know, you need to prepare the congregation, ask about uh, what what it can do in terms of resources and uh, and uh, what what individuals are able to maybe offer themselves as a core group, uh, all those things need to be prepared before one actually starts. And uh, definitely, the church therefore is 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 greatly uh, tasked, you know, to make new adjustments. Very good. And so that's kind of the underlying uh, foundation for church planting and the how of congregations actively engaging. Uh, with intentionality, with intentionally uh, serving uh, missionary teams like this. So let's talk a little bit. Um, you've, you've mentioned that in the, in the chapter we're looking at, there's a couple strategies of either pioneering or colonizing 
as being a, a couple of the strategies with some subcategories. Can you talk a little bit more about the difference there? Yes, uh, <clears throat> I think uh, we have two ways of approaching this whole task of church planting. Um, I would call the first one the pioneering uh, um, approach would, would, would uh, basically enlist one single individual and task him with, uh, uh, with the mission of planting a church, gathering a community, summoning him also to, uh, to find his own resources. Usually that pioneering approach is taken when uh, it is uh, a remote area, something where no neighboring congregations are present to provide their support. And these have been done throughout the centuries, you know, uh, that pioneers have been sent somewhere to do a church plant. It's uh, a downside of it is that it's um, very stressful on the individual. It, uh, it takes a lot of effort both to find resources and at the same time to be active amongst people and working. So it's, uh, I think, uh, uh, not the uh, most, uh, most agreeable task, I think, or, or strategy and so on generally turns to the second one, which is colonizing, which means that um, neighboring congregations, one uh, single one as a mother church or a, a number of them would come together and uh, find a way of uh, supporting a core group in a certain area to serve then as the basis, uh, to, uh, as a catalyst to start a new congregation. So a little colony, to use that word, is starting uh, the new church rather than just one single individual being obliged with that task. Very good. So we know that as we saw the biblical pattern of intentionality to send missionaries into different regions, beginning maybe within your own culture group, uh, we did see some of that colonizing even in the early days of the LCMS, and we saw the pioneering as well. It's kind of fascinating to read some of the history of early church planners in the United States where the LCMS did begin uh, work primarily among German immigrants, much like themselves, but then they looked at different people groups and different regions. And so we saw the pioneers even that went out West. So you would see a church planter. Uh, he might take a few families with them, and then they would move out west. And part of uh, their life of being life together as the church would be establishing congregations in these new regions. But I do think primarily today, um, as you said, we're more on the colonizing side. And one of the things that's brought up in this Strategies for Starting Churches chapter is the model of mother-daughter congregation. Um, we've spoken numerous times about the importance of uh, us as a church body. Um, you know, a healthy body is one that reproduces. Um, talk to us a little bit, Dr. Schultz, about this mother-daughter congregation model. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's probably the most prevalent, uh, pre uh, prevalent model and has been used, as you have rightly said, over time, you know, in the history of the LCMS. I mean, take a, a, a city like Fort Wayne, just to use that example as an, uh, or as an illustration. If you think about it, there's a big church, mother church called St. Paul's. And over time, you know, as members became 
the membership became too large. Uh, they started to divide up the regions of Fort Wayne and saying there will emerge a daughter church called Emmanuel. There will be a church in this region called St. Paul's. So all the members that before came to to this mother church are now going to be going to create their own new communities in the various parts of the of the city. And so that model kind of gives us this idea that uh, there is a mother church that sponsors the activity of a new emerging church plant and finds personnel and finds a core group that will um, be seconded, so to speak, to this region and to start to serve as the basis, as the context for a new church plant that would assimilate people from that community, that area. That's kind of a very basic approach, and it seems to find, um, practically speaking, uh, the most uh, uh, most preferred agreement, you know, amongst uh, missiologists. Yeah, I think it's a very, if you have a healthy relationship, it is a, a strong way of doing church planting. Uh, to be under the wing of another congregation, um, there's a lot of administrative things that have to happen before you can become your own uh, chartered church. And so to have somebody that takes you under their umbrella certainly uh, is a huge boost. It's very helpful. Um, as you said, the added support that's needed with bringing people and funding uh, to the congregation. I think maybe the only drawback, and I think this was even mentioned in the the chapter was just the importance of really understanding the commitment. Um, so just as, you know, a married couple, um, they might get a, a puppy and you have to really think about, okay, there's a, a commitment there uh, to have a, a dog now. And, and so when you think about then moving towards having children, um, that's a lifetime commitment. It's, it's no small thing. And you really uh, do have to take into consideration that this is not something uh, short-term, but this is, uh, again, your daughter congregation, and you're in it for the life of the, the church and really seeing it as being uh, a mother and child relationship. And I, I just think that might be the only thing is that you really have to be cognizant of the fact um, that there is a huge commitment that you have to make there. Yeah, I mean, one has to, however, uh, mention here that there are two sides, that uh, two extremes that should be avoided. You know, on the one side is the, that the mother church decides to withdraw support too soon or too early and never allows this church to develop to the stage of becoming an independent church. On the other hand, it might just exercise too much control over the daughter church so that it never finds its independency. So I think, uh, and its maturity. So uh, one needs to be, uh, as you rightly say, be careful as to the length of time that one chooses to support the daughter church by raising it up, but then also seeing to it that it uh, rises to the level of a maturity, you know, where one speaks of the selves, you know, the, the self-theologized, self-preaching, self-governance, that that all comes and emerges also with the, the new church plant. Very good. And no doubt, it's also the greatest joy for us to have children, to raise children, uh, to have a legacy uh, that we can leave uh, the world. And so in the same way, even though it is a commitment, um, the love uh, and to see the blossoming uh, of this daughter congregation, um, what, what a great joy it is. So uh, certainly 
you know, we understand that uh, it's not always easy. There's a commitment that's there. Um, and yet, uh, what a great pleasure it is uh, for us to be able to yes, participate. And, 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 and yeah, if I could add one more thing, I mean, we would all, uh, the mother church might want to hope, uh, or hopes that uh, she will be replicated in every facet, you know, of the way that this uh, daughter church looks like her in every way. I think that's, that's probably not possible. Yeah. Uh, one maybe say theologically, yeah, it can be worship-wise, yes. But the people that it gathers, you know, in that new community will probably be a little different. So one needs right. to be aware of this. And um, it's like, uh, you know, okay, you uh, you are the Alsatian parents, you know, or, or shepherd dog parents, but you uh, you uh, inherit a bulldog, you know, then you have to kind of work out the, the differences also and accept those differences. Absolutely. And as we mentioned before, one of the one of the advantages of, of the why of church planning is that in a new context and a new group of people, uh, sometimes the mother congregation, not only does it energize their base, but they, they learn new ways of doing outreach uh, because this congregation is kind of fast and nimble and uh, is able to re- reach into the community in their context. And uh, so, right, not only is that wisdom passed down from the the mother to the child, but in church planting, you know, a lot of times they're able to glean new ideas of how they can do uh, different means of outreach as, as well. So yeah, there, there is a good give and take that way as well. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So another model um, that's brought up in this chapter is kind of referred to as a multi-sponsorship. And that is, you know, because it is a major commitment to have multiple congregations that are supporting your work, um, can be an advantage. Probably the bigger disadvantage, though, is that who who is the primary sponsor? And when you have many different people trying to have a, a say in, in the church planning process, it can be a bit of a disadvantage. What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Schultz? Yeah, I mean, if you have too many hands in the pot, you know, then things don't work out too well. So I guess what uh, one says here in the multi-sponsor uh, multi um, uh, churches coming together, sister churches, and is uh, trying to find ways of planting a church. They all put in their resources, all their personnel comes together, you know. So it multiplies the potential and the and the uh, and, and the way to 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 go about it. But it also at the same time uh, could uh, defeat the purpose if there is no clear strategy. And if there is not a congregation that assumes uh, maybe the, uh, the the head role in, in, in the task so that there's a certain accountability while all others are supporting it, one church kind of in of the, uh, of the many uh, assumes a, a leadership role so that there is this, this go-to uh, congregation that assumes um, responsibility more than others. Uh, I would say that is true what uh, what you have just mentioned there. But uh, it basically is trying to encourage congregations that don't have, as a single church, all the resources available to go to a neighboring congregation and together uh, uh, work it out. So I think that's what it's trying to say when the mother church uh, uh, pr- uh, approach mother-daughter church with one single congregation taking the initiative. If that doesn't work, let's get a number of congregations together and do the same thing together. Right. And in our context, you know, it might be a district-wide 
uh, or it might be a circuit-wide church plant. And, and that just means that the circuit all comes together to, to work as one. Um, so that's, that's always helpful. And at the very least, it is always a good thing for other congregations in the circuit or the district to support that mission work because it's vital uh, to the life of the church in that place. So, uh, yeah, it can be a little complicated administratively to have multiple uh, points of, uh, you know, people having ideas on the how and the strategy and, and this and that. But certainly you do want to draw support from as many people as you can within your circuit and your district, um, no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, I think there are uh, two points to that. I think to a degree, um, uh, we need to uh, encourage this, that, uh, that you know, churches actually become part of uh, the more the better become part of uh, a church planting project so that they don't uh, go and, uh, you know, um, use their resources, the little that they have, and spend it on other activities that make no sense. You know, this is kind of a real focused uh, uh, mission enterprise that they can go and engage in in a certain area together. And I think if we have uh, the possibility of encouraging it, we would go a long way as a synod. A second point I thought here was that this is not new to the to the synod. Uh, you know, there was the Ministry Action Council. I think it's called MAC. Uh, maybe Mark Larson knows about this, or, or Steve, you do, that uh, there was at a time when circuits created their own uh, church planting, um, how it's a committee uh, or, or group, organizing group that would start to think more uh, deliberately about engaging local congregations for a church plant. I spoke to the mission leader in the Indiana district recently, and uh, those are still working, the, the mission action councils, as you know, the, the circuit gatherings in order to plant new churches. So mm -hmm. very much still in order. Mm -hmm. So if districts are engaging uh, at least uh, at that level, by creating a, a mission action council or, or an organization that brings uh, multiple people or in the leader from from various circuits congregations together, um, we would already achieve uh, uh, something of 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 a difference of making a change in in the in the church planting climate because it would encourage uh, uh, from the leadership level of the district down to the circuits, to the individual congregations that, uh, that all are in this together. Yes, and I think that's been intentional. Even when we think about what it means to be synod and walking together, that has always been part of our history. And that is how we band together, um, not only for international missionaries to go overseas, because you know, obviously one congregation would have a very hard time supporting that. But if you do it uh, as a churchwide effort, um, it becomes much easier. But also on the district level with local uh, church planting, that's, as you said, historically been the case. And there's new new ways uh, that, that come up. Uh, there's kind of a one 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 model that many of our districts are using in terms of how they can continue to fund the mission in new ways. Uh, but certainly that you want to have an intentionality um, at, a, at a higher level so that everybody can work together and have a kind of a shared vision and goal uh, for the church. Um, and it's, it's obviously a very uh, helpful to, to be an ordered process in terms of where we should be planting and how we can go about doing this and, and to be 
you know, good stewards. And I think that's, that's beneficial as well. That's why we have you and Mark Larson. That's why we are both (laughs) serving in that. Very true. Uh, We, you know, we want to encourage and pray and uh, facilitate and support our districts as much as we can uh, for us to be about planning churches, no doubt. Well, let's talk about uh, another model then, the the multi-congregational church. And I do think we have some examples of this as well in the LCMS. You know, in our major cities, it's obviously um, hard uh, for people to have uh, very large facilities uh, in in our uh, metropolitan areas that are quite expensive. And there are many different cultures, uh, I should say ethnicities, um, that can be reached. Uh, I know in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, that's how they've done quite a bit of their ministry is when new people groups um, were presented to the community, um, there was a specific outreach. And part of that typically was because of the language barrier. So you might see uh, on a Sunday morning uh, multi-ethnic Bible studies that are happening in people's um, native languages, and at the same time, um, they're offering English as a second language and also other skills uh, to help them uh, as uh, new uh, Americans uh, to uh, participate in the church. And what's kind of fascinating uh, in this case is they, they actually have one worship service, though, and everybody is having their, uh, the, the congregations having the worship translated uh, into their language um, through some special technologies, which didn't always exist. But um, what do you think in terms of the importance of us to be reaching different groups within a city in kind of in another intentional way, Dr. Schultz? Yes, uh, you're absolutely right that this is not something totally new to the Synod either. You know, you have congregations uh, already in, in various uh, parts of this country in big cities you know, helping out uh, other groups, you know, by offering their church building as a a facility. Now, uh, I would say this is important for the future of our synod, uh, just as in Acts uh, 11, verse um, 19 and 20, some preach the gospel to the Jews and some preach the gospel to the non-Jews. And so uh, it means that uh, we have... uh, uh, the task to preach the gospel to various target audiences. And once we do that, the question uh, that uh, will immediately follow is, well, what and where will they gather to worship? And so since buildings are, as you have said, are so expensive these days and hard to come by, it's a natural fit to say, well, let the local congregation building there that uh, is available and already has a group uh, offer itself uh, open, open itself up to others. Uh, so yes, I think this is something we will have to think about more intently as well as an alternative to the first two strategies of mother, daughter, and multi-sponsoring uh, church plants. That uh, there are some congregations already existing, and they are to use uh, or let their church building be used as a facility for others who uh, also would like to become. Uh, um, worshiping communities. Yes, and I, I think it's great to see. I mean, I, I obviously love going to the Pentecost service and, you know, they have the gospel lesson spoken in different languages. It's great to see uh, an ethnic pastor that can reach 
his people group and speak their language. Um, the only the only thing I would caution, I guess, is that this is more than just sharing space. I mean, we are the one Christian church here on earth. And I, I always appreciate when it's more than just, hey, we'll let you use this room or, you know, this part of the facility at this time. Uh, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. There are intentional ways that they're trying to build fellowship to be one congregation, even though, again, there's kind of a language barrier. And it's great to see the different people groups having an opportunity to meet and to hear the gospel uh, in their in their language that they can understand, but also that there would be some intentional um, outreach in terms of bringing them into the greater fellowship where they're having some sort of gatherings together, uh, all as one. And so, again, it's not just, hey, let's share space. It's let's be the body of Christ in this place. Yeah, I, I want to I want to ditto that. That is definitely true. A church it, it needs to have once it offers itself to another group, be reciprocal in its th- uh, thinking. In other words, uh, there's a reciprocity going on between the two groups, uh, and it must be a, 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 a an assimilation uh, that is not one sided. You know, where it just tells the group, "You come to us." You know, we will never reach out to you, or you, uh, the burden is on you whether you want to join us or not. But it has to be a, a mutual engagement between the leaders and the members. And I think that over time will develop into a, a beautiful assimilation because admittedly, the English language sooner or later comes as one that is spoken amongst the young emerging second generation, if this is a first generation church plant. And I might add here that it's really important, I believe, to prepare the, the host congregation to be thinking about uh, what are the cultural differences and how are we going to foster understanding among the two different groups. There certainly are, are a lot of experiences where the host congregation um, finds itself at odds with uh, the new daughter within their midst uh, for cultural reasons. They have different concepts of how children should behave and manage the property the there's uh, where the spoons should be placed in the kitchen, you know, and it, it comes down to little tiny things like that, be, which become irritants. Mm-hmm. And so the experience has been, you know, that it's really important to uh, prepare the host congregation to understand exactly what you guys are saying that, you know, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's a privilege for us to have them here. So we need to understand how things can be different and, and know that that's not bad necessarily. Yeah. so that we can receive them warmly. Yes, I do think so. And I, I mean, that is certainly one that uh, needs to be addressed already prior to offering your building to that new group. As a host church, you need to uh, do these prenatal activities, I guess, you know, uh, preparing uh, the congregation for these new, um, how do you call it, these new challenges that would emerge, you know, who pays the electricity bill now? Okay. Who cleans the kitchen? When can they come in and worship and not conflict with our times? So, yeah, right. that is uh, definitely, uh, these are mundane issues, but can uh, break a, a project like like this strategy here, uh, Model 3, of being a, a church uh, uh, that is offering multiple uh, co- uh, communities uh, worship worshiping opportunities. And I do think yeah, we have the, the right ecclesiology behind all this. Yes, we understand that there are logistics, 
But at the end of the day, this is Revelation 7. This is all the nations and languages. And we all gather together around the same throne and worship the same triune God. We are all united in in communion. And I think that's helpful for us to have that understanding that uh, regardless of of the logistics behind how it happens, uh, at the end of the day, um, we are all united, uh, one one loaf, uh, one cup, and that's really what matters most. Yes, and and I just want to add that um, that you know with this model three of multi uh, uh, worshiping communities at one same building is a reality that is probably growing. Okay, is going to become increasingly uh, um, more common. Uh, also, you know, you have changing communities with new people coming in and out. You know, what was formerly a um, uh, this kind of uh, group of people living here now has been exchanged by this kind of group of people. So uh, then you have the, the host congregation clinging on to its old ways while surrounded by uh, a new changing community. And then we need to figure out what it means to reach out to these people. And I think rather than protecting ourselves or building walls around us, we need to think about, like you say, uh, revelation and and, uh, how we are being told to be a church for others. Very good. And again, it's a beautiful picture and it can be a very beautiful thing when we see all God's people gathered together around the throne. So let's let's take a look at our next uh, model. And again, this is... This is somewhat traditional, um, the way that it's kind of described. Uh, the LCMS has very, uh, and even today, uh, taken on the model of a mother congregation uh, that just establishes a preaching station. Uh, you know, a local congregation uh, is willing to allow their pastor to go to a, you know, a farther out region uh, to start either a Bible study uh, or their um, even building a, a core group, perhaps. And so we're kind of used to this idea of the preaching station, but it describes it as a mother church satellite congregation. Uh, kind of similar, but really the satellite seems much more permanent. So what do you think of that model, Dr. Schultz? Well, uh, you know, the multi, uh, the satellite concept is um, is of old, but it is also more... Uh, developed now to, uh, more complex, I think, in terms of how it's implemented. And uh, sometimes born out of necessity, as we know, uh, there are certain places in the city where uh, congregations are diminishing in size and resources are also uh, um, uh, um, being lost, you know, or diminishing. And as a result, they can no longer support a pastor, for example. So, what happens is that a, a mother church there in the vicinity starts adopting that smaller uh, congregation, supporting it out of its midst. So you start to uh, see a, a, a joint team ministry emerging at the mother church that then goes out and serves these various smaller congregations, uh, uh, which become the satellites. So. However, at the same time, it can also be developed strategically to start satellite uh, places, you know, congregations from scratch. So you have a team ministry addressing uh, these various places, you know, regions, uh, 
uh, with new emerging uh, communities called satellites, which eventually will develop into uh, self-standing congregations. So I'm just trying to highlight for it from two perspectives. One that was more born out of the idea that uh, there are congregations already existing but struggling. So a mother church assumes the role of, 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 of providing ministry to them, calling them satellites, or strategically it's a new church planting endeavor to start not just one mother-daughter relationship but multiple ones, multiple daughters, and calling them satellites. This, of course, demands a lot of energy and usually would demand a larger church that has the power and the, uh, and the resources to do so. This is true. And it takes a little bit of the sacrifice. The congregation has to know that they're, uh, if it's a, especially if it's a preaching station, that the pastor might be gone on a Sunday afternoon uh, to a, you know, another city uh, or another region. And he also has to then kind of make that commitment that he's going to give up even more of his time uh, to not only uh, be responsible for his own flock, but also the establishment of another flock. And again, you know, it, it would be a hope and a dream that that would uh, become its own uh, self-sustaining congregation. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a commitment on the part of those who are involved, but uh, it's a wonderful thing. To see happen, and um, we've had a few circumstances uh, where we've worked on projects through Mission Field USA, where a pastor Sunday afternoon uh, went over to a hotel, um, you know, facility. They got a room uh, at the local congregation, got a room there uh, outside of town to see if they could establish some sort of a worship service or a Bible study, and gather together. And next thing you know, they're calling a separate pastor. Uh, and then chartering a, a new congregation. So that's that's certainly uh, a wonderful thing to see. Um, but it does, as you said, uh, take take some commitment, just like the mother-daughter, maybe even a little bit more because you're uh, working with your own church staff that way. Yeah, I mean, in, in mythological circles, uh, you know, the discussion on this fourth model is great, you know, because it's a dream project, you know, for a church to actually have not only one daughter congregation planted, but multiple, you know. I mean, where is that possible, you know, unless you have a big church actually pursuing it vigorously and trying to uh, establish, you know, not just one, but uh, two, three more satellite congregations and keeping that pace, uh, you know, over a longer extended period. So I think this fourth model, if uh, being uh, uh, applied, uh, would be something that is more rare, uh, uh, is rarer than the first uh, other three models, you know, which have a more... Um, uh, or, or easier manageable and probably easier done on a, on a more uh, basic uh, congregational level um, than the fourth one here, which is it's it's a huge uh, task at hand, I would say. Yes, it's. I think the advantage there might be that it's you know when you think about church planning, a lot of people immediately are scared off by thinking, oh, we got to pay for facilities, we got to pay for you know, a missionary. Um, again, for a lot of congregations, though, this is this has been, uh, in terms of budget anyways, um, simple. If you're meeting at somebody's house or the public library and one of the staff, uh, you know, one of the pastors of the congregation are willing to, 
take this on, um, it can be an inexpensive way to at least see if there's a potential for starting a, a core group. So definitely some pluses and minuses, but we have seen some success and it has overcome some of those obstacles of, oh, this is just such a huge investment, but it really was more about sacrificing uh, time and congregations being willing to sacrifice their own time to go to this other location to help establish a core group. So um, I think there's, like you said, some some advantages and disadvantages, but it is um, maybe a way to at least uh, try to see if there's a possibility for a new church start there. Yeah, I mean, not just one new church. This fourth model yeah. tries to suggest that you go uh, to multiple uh, uh, audiences, you know, and establish right. a, a satellite there. Yes, I right. mean, I we should never be deterred by the problem of resources and finances. I think starting it somewhere in a smaller room, uh, you know, here and there is, is not going to tax a congregation uh, much in terms of resources other than time and borrowing their pastor or their pastors to those activities. So there needs to be um, a willingness to engage those activities in addition to being shepherded by these pastors. Very good. And hope, hopefully these are different ways to encourage uh, congregations to consider uh, different ways now that we've also talked about the why it's so essential for us as a church body, uh, really, to be healthy that we're doing these things. And this section of the, the book um, gives one simple thing that your congregation can do right now to move towards that, and that is the establishment of a mission committee. And we talked about that at the broader level of uh, the district and national levels, having some sort of a committee that's helping to do the strategizing and that sort of thing. But as the author points out that every congregation should have this in mind too, uh, the beginning of a mission committee to at least start the conversation about the demographics, the context, the gaps uh, within certain localities of uh, the pure preaching of the gospel. Where are these places that we should at least be thinking about uh, new mission? Dr. Schultz, why is it so important to at least begin there with congregations having some sort of intentional mission committee meeting to talk about the importance of their congregation actively engaging in mission? Well, it, uh, you know, there has to be somebody who keeps the, the vision and the, uh, the flame alive. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's good to have enthusiasm for a project and then it dies down the line because uh, there are so many other activities to focus on. So what you need is a group of people who actually have the know-how, who can access demographics, you know, do the research, who have uh, certain uh, connections to the city, you know, to to various important people in, in other leadership uh, uh, positions in the civil life and can communicate with these and to start something going. So it must be a concerted, intentional effort. It can't just be put on the shoulders of every member and said, now go and figure out how to do it. But there has to be a, a group, a core group uh, um, placed uh, amongst the, all the sheep, you know, uh, the members and which is tasked with this very, very um, project and, and keeps it alive and keeps it focused and so that uh, nobody forgets about it but actually pursues it um, 
over the longer period. I mean, this is the problem with mission in general. Uh, of course, we would like all members to be engaged and to witness, but there are also those who do not do so, and for various reasons. But there must be somebody who reminds and keeps uh, the mission as church planting alive uh, over a continuous uh, time without any lapses or failures. And only in that way will it succeed, I think. Very good. And I know you've even spoken about how you've noticed that the Mission Sundays have dropped off in our congregations. And just the thought of Mission Sunday, where you're focusing the attention of the church on, hey, here's great mission work that's happening across the globe. Here's mission work that we can support in our own district. Here's mission work that we can support in our own congregation. But as you're saying, even to go beyond that is the intentionality of considering how we as a congregation uh, can be the ones who are initiating mission work uh, within our localities. We're, we're thinking uh, about the new people groups and the new places that we personally, corporately, as a church need to think God, uh, in terms of the mission of God, where we fit in with that. And I know you've, you've spoken about how we've kind of lost that sense, even through something as simple as those Mission Sundays. Yeah, I mean, uh, our synod is, uh, has lost the Mission Sunday, um, uh, how do you say it, ethos, you know, which means practicing it on a, on a, on a yearly basis, one Sunday devoted to a mission activity, which needn't be in Africa or elsewhere, but locally somewhere in the communities close by. And that is what we need to task our congregation, starting with something as simple as that, to uh, think about where they're located, to think about uh, their connections to various groups that have come in and how their uh, task is of mission task is, is now localized rather than um, spread all over the world. I mean, it's, it's something we need to always remind our congregations that the mission field is back uh, here at home, and uh, we need to respond to it. Very good. Mission Field USA, that's what it's all about. The mission is right in your own backyard, and Missio is to be sent. And so that's, that's what we've been trying to encourage these last two podcasts is really the why, the benefits that you have as a congregation to be about church planting, how it's healthy for us, uh, not only for our own congregations, for the overall body. And, you know, we've talked about some of the how, but it really just begins with something as simple as gathering a group together uh, to be in committee to talk about what can we do in terms of being the sent ones in this mission of God? Where are those places where God would send us like he did with Saul and Barnabas into these regions, not only to reach people like us, uh, but people who are not like us? How do we go to places that we're not familiar with? How do we go into cities and metropolitan areas and multi-ethnic communities? How do we reach people for the gospel, uh, for Christ? And as we've discussed, it all starts with just that intentionality of talking and thinking it through and then making a plan on how we can engage in mission work and mission field USA. So, Dr. Uh, Larson, thank you again for co-hosting this very important podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. 
And Dr. Schultz, uh, thank you for bringing your expertise uh, back again to talk not only about why we need to plant churches, but how we can get started and how it's so important for us as a church body in the LCMS. And that's why we talk so much about Mission Field USA and the need for us to do mission work right here in our own backyards. Thanks again, Dr. Schultz. Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, you know, it's not as complicated as, as it sounds. And I hope we can encourage all congregations to be in somewhat uh, connected to this task of Church Planting USA. I think uh, that's what we want to see happen in the next uh, years to come. Amen. That's what it's all about. So keep on listening for how you can engage in Mission Field USA. God bless. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you. you.